0: We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of this land, the Bunurong people, and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. We recognise and respect their continuing connections to climate, culture and country. Mm. open book podcast this episode lee and april talk about the non-fiction title life mode on robin presents the so you think you don't like segment for literary fiction dione is reviewing feed by mt anderson asia is reviewing open water by caleb azuma nelson and we have a programs update from lauren with the book chat
1: hi everyone and welcome to the open book podcast um i'm april and i'm here with lee today hi lee hello and today we are going to be talking about the book life mode on by dr joanne orlando so lee
2: yeah, and the, the byline, which I really like, and is a good summary of the book, is how to feel less stressed, more present, and back in control when using technology. Yes. Um, and a little bit about Joanne, she's a researcher and author from Sydney. Um, so she's put out a lot of papers and done a lot of research into this. But an interesting fact is she develops the term zombie scrolling um which as we'll discuss is kind of a big part of what this book's all about
1: yes and uh yeah i'll tell us tell you a little bit about the book just from the blurb at the back so it's a revolutionary approach to living a better life with technology from digital lifestyle expert dr joanne orlando and the book reads on the blurb, our transition into living with computers, smartphones and other devices has been fast, messy and unplanned. The exact technology that can make us smarter, happier and more organised and more connected is instead causing us stress and distraction. and highly competent people are struggling to feel in control. Technology is no longer something we simply possess or use. It's part of who we are. In life mode on, Dr. Joe helps us to understand and reset our digital habits, whether they be in our homes, workplaces, or relationships. These are no quick fixes. These are real practical solutions for long-term fulfillment in our increasingly digital world.
2: Mm. Yes, it's yeah. Um, well, let's, let's start off with, um, what did you think of life mode on?
1: Yes. Um, so I don't generally read a lot of nonfiction. I'm more like my fiction books. Mm. So this was something new for me. Um, I found it very interesting and it's a little bit enlightening because you do sort of see yourselves in some parts of this book. I think um, everyone's experienced zombie scrolling at mm-hmm. some point in their life. And it, I really liked it because it gives you practical solutions but it's not about taking away the technology because in the reality of the world, um, technology is everywhere. We're not getting rid of it there are advantages to it and it's about the user being more in control of their use rather than removing technology completely. So yeah, I enjoyed that aspect. What about you, Lee?
2: Yeah, it's it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, it's a book that, as you mentioned, it doesn't blame technology or blame the tech companies, which is like very tempting to want to do that um because they're i mean they're obviously just very manipulative and um will program and design to keep you on their platforms and to profit from your data and all these horrible things and it would have been i think very easy for her to write a book um kind of going in on these companies but It's, um, I guess a bit of a realist kind of way of seeing that, okay, you know, these technologies are part of our future and we can look back and be nostalgic Mm -hmm. for a future where it's, where we're not glued to our phones or, you know, we can look at some techniques to get a better balance and, um,
1: yeah, exactly. And in the book. You know, rather than blaming technology for the psychological issues that surround technology use, this book encourages readers to examine how they use technology and empowers readers to take control of their online behaviours to enhance their life. And one of my favourite quotes from the book by Albert Einstein, Joanne writes in here this Einstein quote, Why does this magnificent applied science, which saves work, and makes life easier, bring us so little happiness. And the simple answer runs because we have not yet learned to make sensible use of it. Mm. So I just found that a really interesting quote because it pretty much sums up our issues with technology, I think. The answer is not to remove the technology, but to retrain how we use technology and when we use technology. What do you think, Lee?
2: Oh, it's so... It's so tricky because I think fundamentally, you know, we, when we are trying to find a book to do for this, um, this book chat, we went to, I can't remember why, but we went to the health and wellbeing section. Yeah. And yeah, so, so this book is a health and wellbeing. It's, it's right next to a lot of self-help books and, um, I I still think, yeah, maybe there's part of me that's still in the doom and gloom stage of like, This technology is bad. This is yeah. like it's doing bad things. Um And I think and everyone
1: feels like that in a way. I mean, with so much cyberbullying going on yeah. at the moment in the world and, you know, there's so many parents out there that don't know how to help their children, who yeah. are struggling with cyberbullying and, you know, it it's taken uh, negativity in regards to technology out of control there's yeah. so many complex issues that go in line with technology so and i think as einstein says we've created this technology but we haven't taught everyone how to use it in a positive manner yeah. and as a result everyone's falling into these traps and when it gets out of control they just blame the technology Yeah. rather than looking at what can we do to Retrain how we look at technology and to use it in a positive manner.
2: Yeah Yeah, and I, I think like I think Joe comes up with like Really practical solutions that are That it seemed very obvious on paper, but you know that they could make a really significant difference in people's lives like she talks a lot about the phone is um something that's really safe mm. for you. Like a lot of people who, not even just people who feel like lost or unsafe, but just it's it's become this go-to of like comfort and we pick it up because we need something to do. We need, you know, maybe we're waiting for a train and we mm. it's, we'd look weird if we're just looking around. Or... And we don't
1: know how to be bored anymore. No. We're in this fast-tracked world and the minute you have to wait anywhere, yeah, you can't just stand there in the silence and the stillness. You have to automatically grab your phone or, and if you don't have your phone with you, you feel frustrated cause you have to wait for something. Yeah. So we're, we're just a very impatient world now, I think.
2: Yeah. And, and one of her solutions was just to move those, like those high traffic apps, you know, like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and any of those ones that are just like an endless scroll, take them off your home screen and you don't have to delete them but make them a little bit harder to get to so Mm -hmm.
1: she even suggested you know if you did want to delete them then it would mean that you'd have to log in via a website which would make it even trickier or as Lee said even just moving them so they're not accessible as soon as you open your phone
2: yeah and that it's I, I kinda liked the idea of making it, like forcing your phone to be a bit boring. Yes. She like... talked about that as well. She <laughs>
1: talked about how we make our phones too fun and inviting yeah. by having pictures of our loved ones as the home yeah. screen or when you open it. So they almost feel like, you know, it's something that you love in a yeah. way and an extension of yourself. And she talks about making it really boring, making it like black and white and grey yeah. and Nothing fun and therefore you won't be as drawn to it perhaps and you won't see it so much as a safe place more as something you can use to help yourself rather than necessarily something you need
2: yeah I thought that was such like yeah the idea of yeah your um your loved ones or your puppy or this great holiday that you you went on the idea of having that as your home screen is like well of course I want to personalize my phone I want to make it me but it's it feels like such a radical idea to actually be like no i'm gonna make it i know like black and white or i'm yep. gonna you know just make it a, a solid color because it is an object it's not um
1: yeah i think a lot of people will struggle with that though yeah, yeah. in saying that even when i've read that you know if you're having a i don't know if you're having a bad day or you you know you're away somewhere and you miss someone And you have that photo as you open your phone. A lot of people like looking at their photos as sort of a nostalgic sort of memory to make themselves feel better. And when Joanne's saying, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, "Mm, lots of people, I think, do that. Yeah. So it would be really hard to do, but it does make sense if you don't want to use your phone as much don't make it so appealing. Yeah.
2: And it it makes, it almost takes away your phone being that source of comfort, Mm. like it, it kind of shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, And that's where we fall into these patterns of, you know, we, we want to feel comfortable all the time. So we keep looking at our phones and yeah.
1: And I I just wanted to mention as well, um, in the book, Joanne talks about conditions Mm. that have came, that have come out of the use of technology. Um, some of the examples, they're, they're pretty interesting, some of them. But, you know, I'm sure we've all done this one, but the binge-watching addiction, the inability to turn off streaming services such as Netflix. I know I've been a victim of that at some point. Yeah. Um, cyber loafing, taking a micro-break from housework, shopping or other activity by going online to check emails and social networks and search the internet. Um I found this one interesting. Digital hypochondria, blaming technology use, the occurrence of complex health issues. Or in also, you know, Google Doctor. Yeah.
2: Anytime you have
1: And anytime you Google a health condition, it goes to the worst case scenario.
2: Absolutely. It's
1: automatically going to come up. So a simple headache can put you in extreme stress if you Google it. And I must say from when i had a newborn i googled doctor way too much Mm. so i think um yeah you've got to try and not do that and realize that the phone is not the expert and the websites are designed to make you want to keep scrolling and they do that by putting those worst case scenarios up first
2: yeah there's a really great quote um from the book that says the number one reason we feel burnt out from our technology I think she's talking about phones in particular in this situation is because we use it to escape our stress it's the junk food of our digital world
1: I had that quote written down too (laughs) it's it's so true though isn't it it is it it gives
2: you yeah it gives you those same feelings of of junk food it's it's not like a
1: Um, And then she talks about that too. She says, um, Joanne discusses that uncontrolled technology use or addiction to technology is not necessarily caused by technology. It is a symptom of another underlying disorder. So, you know, sometimes those people that are just endlessly scrolling, that may be a symptom of, you know, conditions such as depression or anxiety or attention problems or feeling lost Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily the technology, but the technology is bringing out this symptom, this need for help. It's almost like a call for help.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, even as as we've had this conversation, we we started in a way that was... it's not about the technology and then I sorry, I probably dragged us into being No. Like, no. Oh, technology is I bad. think everyone feels like that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it's um, we we need to find ways of then as as Joe suggests in this this book of of coming out of that because yeah, it's it's not gonna change and we yeah, need to analyse the way that we interact Use with yeah, you know,
1: and I think it's so important to teach that. You know when people are young mm. now, because you know technology is so out of control that we may not be able to stop. You know cyberbullying, etc. You know we we haven't got any sure way solutions or strategies. Everyone's no. working on it, but you know in reality the technology isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. So Joanne encourages readers to be intentional in the use of technology. Be intentional and mindful in how you set up your device and where you place it. For example, not next to you as you sleep. Be intentional in the way you use your device. Make positive interactions. Use it to learn and block anything that doesn't give you digital fulfillment, which she talks about a lot. And to explain, as Joanne says, digital fulfillment means using technology in ways that focus on thinking, care, good, and community.
2: Mm. The other thing I loved about this book is um, simply the aesthetic of it. Yeah. It is um, beautifully designed. It's it's kind of little, um, but it's got beautiful graphics and colours throughout the whole thing, and mm. it just makes for a really... Uh, A really accessible and easy read and I I think it's it's nice to see a topic like this presented in in such a way maybe maybe there's something in there that there's an awareness um, yeah the topic is about uh, in some ways like like kind of shorter attention spans and that kind of like scroll through things really really quickly and take in information very fast and so having this kind of format it just kind of makes it a bit fun and I wonder if that was part of it in a sense you know that
1: idea about technology being so bright and in your face and maybe it's all sort of linked to that in a sense because it is a very colorful book
2: yeah I think it could be quite intentional yeah Um, yes
1: which is one of the things and because Joanne also talks about you know in the reality is even though we talk about you know technology use and addiction and you know zombie scrolling, the reality is we are overloaded with information and it is easy to feel like you're losing control. Websites and social media are designed to encourage you to continue scrolling the internet, uh, impulse by or engage in false information. And that is why it's so important for you to control how and why you engage with technology and not let technology control you. So Joanne does talk a lot about what the current issues are with technology use, but she also gives us practical solutions on what we can do to control our use. So even though, you know, there are Elements of technology that are to blame, for example, Mm. how the companies create social media and you know, how you know, data tracking and she talks about the cookies and everything, Mm. and how they keep track of all your data and what you look up and they use that. But you have the power to delete apps, you have the power to change your settings, you have the power to make your phone less appealing. So, it's about taking that control so that you aren't misled i guess by the technology
2: Mm. i think that's a wonderful yeah summary of of what giant's trying to get across Mm. um and the Mm. only extra thing i want to mention is just a couple of couple of titles that this one reminded me of um perhaps you've already read them and that will make you interested in this book or maybe you've read this and you want some more um a book I read a few years ago is one called How to Do Nothing, um, Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny O'Dell. She's an American writer and in comparison, um, Jenny's book is a lot more scientific, um, but it goes, it kind of talks, it kind of talks about um, technology, but also work and the way that um, yeah, like modern workplaces are structured, and then it goes on these detours of Jenny talking about bird watching and what that adds to her life, and so, um, that's a really beautiful book, um, that kind of talks about a bit of a broader topic, and another one that talks about technology a little bit is, um, Make Your Art No Matter What by Beth Pickens, um, which you can also, both of these you can get from our collection, um and beth kind of in a, a few chapters she talks about um technology and productivity and um also in kind of a way that doesn't blame the technology but will give you some techniques of trying to um, detach yourself digitally i suppose um yeah did it remind you of anything else or?
1: um no this was I had i hadn't read a book like this, so I, I really enjoyed it for that aspect. Um, not a book similar. Should we talk about what books we're reading at the moment? Are you reading yeah.
2: anything interestingly? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> I've just finished this. So, well, I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> yeah, well, you can't read too many books well, at once. I mean, that's, can that's you? <laughs> it. I, I mean, there's plenty on my bookshelf, yes. Um, that's oh I it's so my bookshelf, my like bedside table bedside that I've just table, been yes, waiting to to get into. So yeah. um no at the moment I don't no have books. That many
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: recommendations. <laughs> well, I'm reading um The Night She Disappears by Lisa Jewell. Uh you can borrow this book at the Greater Danon Libraries. I borrowed it myself and yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I, I like Lisa Jewell's books. I am a big fan of the thriller genre um so yeah i recommend that book i'm only halfway through but it's keeping me really captivated so far
2: so cool thanks for the chat Abel. no
1: thank you fun. lee and um yeah you can borrow life mode on at greater danon libraries with your membership card
2: we have two copies as well we do <laughs> well thank you lee thank you
0: Is Robin with us? So You Think You Don't Like segment.
4: Hello, my name is Robin and I'm an Information Librarian at Greater Dandenong Libraries. This segment is called So You Think You Don't Like and today we will be talking about literary fiction. So what is literary fiction? Broadly speaking, it's fiction that does not fit into other established genres like mystery, thriller, romance, etc. Although it might include some elements of these within the story. It's usually character-driven rather than plot-driven and has an emphasis on style, character, and theme. Rather than fast-paced action, literary fiction moves at a more moderate pace, allowing you to savour the quality of the writing, which may be descriptive or concise, but also can be innovative, unique, or unusual. It generally will examine characters' lives in depth, they navigate challenges and relationships and face internal conflict and their own humanity. The characters may be flawed and complex as many aspects of their personality are examined. Literary fiction can be challenging and thought-provoking, but also absorbing, insightful and wondrous. Personally, I love this style of writing. I love getting inside the skin of characters and following them And their thoughts and actions throughout key moments in their lives or indeed across their whole lives. I also enjoy really beautiful writing, writing that is poignant, satisfying or surprising, the kind where you want to stop and read a section over again to absorb the meaning and impact of the author's words. What people don't like about literary fiction is that it may be too intellectual, too confusing and hard to understand, slow-paced, And also, the endings can be uncertain and open to interpretation, a bit like life. I'm going to recommend some of my favourite literary fiction today, and hopefully by the end of the segment, I'll convince you to try some of these for yourself. The first book I'd like to recommend is The Weekend by Charlotte Wood. It's about three women in their 70s, who reunite for one last weekend in the beach house belonging to their friend Sylvie, who has recently passed away. The three women are Jude, a former restaurant owner who's in a long-term affair with a married man, Wendy, a well-known intellectual with a bohemian streak and an ageing, ailing dog, and Adele, a renowned actress now mostly out of work. They are there to help clean out the house before it is sold by Sylvie's partner, who is overseas. As the three women reminisce about old times across the 40 years of their friendship, old memories, hurts and frustrations surface, and a long-held secret is revealed, which threatens to tear them apart. It seems Sylvie was the one connection who held the friendship together, and now the three remaining women find themselves on shaky ground. The novel is about how the women deal with the shared grief of losing their friend and how this taps into their fears and insecurities and their sense of their own mortality. I found the characters realistic, sometimes annoying, funny and sad, sometimes painfully so, and I enjoyed the wonderful, sharp and witty observations about the realities of ageing and ageism and the warts-and-all depiction of long-term friendships. How friends who've known each other for so long can sometimes be critical, even resentful of each other, but also have an undying respect and fierce loyalty for all that they've shared. I also love the ending. It's one of those ones that's open to interpretation, but I love the author that the author gave us the freedom to imagine a future for these women that we've spent time with and how they can move forward without their departed friend. The weekend is an enjoyable, witty, sometimes confronting insight into friendship, ageing, life and loss. I highly recommend it. The next book I'd like to recommend is The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. It's a dysfunctional family story of the Conroy family, particularly the siblings Maeve and her brother Danny. As they reconcile what happened during their childhoods, and who find it hard to escape the shadow of their former childhood house. In 1946, their father, Cyril, a self-made property developer, buys the Dutch House, a striking, imposing three-story mansion with big glass windows, a huge foyer, and even a ballroom. The house is so called for the family that lived there before, a Dutch family named the van Hobecks. Cyril bought the house with all the furniture in it, including two life-size portraits of Mr and Mrs Van Hobeck, which still adorn the sitting room. When they move into the house, the mother immediately hates it. She finds it too grandiose. She spends her time helping the poor and unfortunate in the community, and she eventually abandons the family, leaving Maeve to be responsible for Danny's upbringing. Maeve is seven years older, and despite the age gap, they are extremely close. And Maeve becomes like a mother to Danny after their own mother leaves. Over the next few years, their father brings a young widow to the house named Andrea. She has two young children. He eventually marries her, and she and her children move in. She's the kind of evil stepmother character of the story, and although she's not cruel or abusive, She is rather calculating and very concerned with status and money. Everything goes downhill when their father dies suddenly and Andrea inherits the house. She immediately kicks Maeve and Danny out. By this time, Maeve is at college and Danny, who's only about 12 years old, goes to live with his sister. From the first page, I knew I would like this story. There was something about the style of the writing I felt immediately drawn in and the house itself is so imposing it's like another character in the story. I love the relationship between the siblings Maeve and Danny their bond and devotion was really endearing and especially I especially liked Maeve she's feisty intelligent and witty a wonderful character. The story is quite complex as it's told over five decades and over multiple time periods but the pieces come together like a jigsaw. Ultimately it's about forgiveness and acceptance as Danny looks back at his family over time. If you like stories about dysfunctional family relationships, beautiful writing, vivid emotional and relatable characters and an atmospheric sense of place, I'd recommend this one for you. The last book I'd like to recommend is The Labyrinth by Amanda Lowry. It was the winner of the Miles Franklin Award in 2021. It's the story of an older woman, Erica Marsden, who moves from Sydney to a small town on the New South Wales coast to be closer to her son, who's in jail for a malicious crime. She becomes obsessed with the idea of building a labyrinth and engages with a range of local quirky characters in the town until she finally meets an illegal immigrant, Jerko, a former stonemason, to help her build the labyrinth at her house. Erica grew up in the grounds of an asylum with her psychiatrist father. Her mother ran away when she was nine years old, and although her childhood was marred by grief and tragedy, she has fond memories of playing in the labyrinth on the grounds of the asylum with her younger brother Axel, whom she has not seen for many years. I found this book strangely captivating. There is not a lot happening, but it's still very poignant, and the writing is lyrical and tightly worded, the prose spare and haunting. I looked forward to going back to reading this book each time I finished the section. Erica gains comfort and relief from the beauty and isolation of her surroundings. Through planning and building the labyrinth, Erica comes to terms with the relationships in her life and her past and goes on a journey of healing and self acceptance. The Labyrinth is a beautiful lyrical and meditative work, short enough to read in a weekend, and definitely one of my favourite reads this year. These three books are all available to borrow through our library collection. Literary fiction is a bit of an acquired taste. I hope you'll find these works interesting, insightful, and rewarding. So give literary fiction a try. And remember, it's all about the journey.
0: Now here are Diony and Aisha with their book reviews.
5: Hi, my name's Diony. I'm part of the children and youth team. And the book that I wanna review and recommend to you is Feed by MT Anderson. It was written in um, 2002 and it's a dystopian text. So it um, takes a lot of the concerns that we have you know, in present day life, things like uh, the rise of the internet and um, climate change concerns and it amplifies them to the point Of dysfunction and then explores what does life or what could life look like uh, if these things went out of control. So the story follows Titus and um, his friends who uh, who live in the United States and they are high school students and they decide to go on uh, a holiday or a vacation for their spring break. And this is one of those books that has one of, a fantastic first line that just completely hooks you in. I, I love this, so I'll share it with you. We went to the moon to have fun, but the moon turned out to completely suck. And I think with that first line, we get a sense of how technologically advanced they are, that they can just go to the moon for spring break. And also their uh, level of privilege and um uh, the pursuit of gratification of these young people that you know everything at their fingertips but they're still not satisfied but you know you're hooked and you think well why did the moon suck so let's find out and so Titus and his friends uh tell us about their experience of life they go to the moon they go to places like the Ricochet Lounge and they experience um, you know, the lack of gravity there, but then they go to rooms that have artificial gravity. And while they're at one of the nightclub type places, they meet a girl named Violet. Now, one of the key features of uh, Feed is the advance in technology that sees this generation of kids having um, the internet basically integrated completely into their brain when they 're young and so it grows along beside them and so Violet represents a um, kind of a she also rec- she represents both the um, academic type of uh, part of society that's sceptical about uh, using the internet to get all the answers and not thinking for yourself, but she also represents a, a lower socioeconomic demographic, as in you know, a, a poorer group of people who cannot afford uh, the very best uh, technology. So Titus uh, finds himself romantically interested in Violet. And they, uh, they start dating and they uh, go on day trips to places like the beach where you have to wear a radiation suit and, you know, they were going to go to the forest but the forest was cut down to make space for an air purifying factory. And so you get this kind of sense of ironic and, um, I guess, sardonic critique of um, the use of technology to... Uh, you know, um, kind of supersede the natural order. But one of the main things I love about the story is the way that it's um, written. It uses very cool language and it starts out uh, in a way that you really do feel like the outsider. You're, you don't understand the words they're talking about. Um, they don't finish, finish their sentences. So there's a lot of mind reading that kind of goes on between... The characters and um, they use words like unit and unit and um, the, uh, one of my favourites is uh, shame banquet so uh, I think one of Titus's friends says to the group now if you guys you know had kind of behaved appropriately back there we wouldn't all be standing here having a great big shame banquet which um, you know hasn't caught on as a term but I think it's really cool well, anyway, if, you are, if you're the kind of reader who loves or enjoyed um, Fahrenheit 451, I think you'll love this one. And, um, yeah, this is appropriate for youth uh, and adult audiences and, yeah, it's a good, fun read.
3: Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson is a book that follows a photographer that falls in love with a dancer. But it's not a love story. Rather, it's a story about love. Two young black British artists meet at a pub in South London and they find themselves in a mess of complicated and entangled relationships. But they manage to find their own space where the two of them can share themselves and their art. They're often marvelling at the legacy and vastness of African and black artists and the impression it's made of understanding who they are in this world. A world that sometimes is desperate to strip them of their humanity. Yet their friendship flourishes into something deeper as they explore each other's past wounds and personal histories, tenderly falling in love. But something lurking in the underbelly of Britain bears a heavy weight to carry. Both characters use their love to find safety in each other only to lose it again and grow in the process. The author takes a breathtaking view of London and breathes life into it through his poetic writing style. He uncovers the subtle heartache and complexities of race and masculinity and the impact on how we love you'll find yourself rereading parts just to hold on to the gorgeous fleeting moments that pass by. You can read Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson at City of Greater Dandenong Libraries.
0: Now here's Lauren with the programs update.
6: Winter is the perfect time to stay inside, get rugged up and warm with the programs at the library. The Emerging Writers' Festival is coming up and we are hosting three events. The first will be on Thursday the 16th of June, which is a short story workshop with Susie Garcia. She's the deputy editor of Kill Your Darlings magazine. On that same evening, the Liminal Magazine's editor and writers will have a panel discussion on how to create spaces for marginalised voices, the importance of working within your community, inter-community collaborations, and advice for emerging writers. Our final event will take place on Thursday, the 23rd of June. Local author Christopher Raja will host a workshop on how to write a memoir and his experiences living in the suburbs. The school holiday program kicks off with a Dreamtime Storytime on Monday the 27th of June. It is an action packed two weeks full of science, arts, cooking, drama, and even karate. Getting quick because these events are bound to sell out Just a little friendly reminder here that many of our regular programs don't run during school holidays. So please check our website for all the details about the program you're interested in. Finally, for NAIDOC week, we have a special screening of the newly released film, A Blaze. It's the true story of the first Aboriginal filmmaker, William Bill Onis. We look forward to seeing you at the library this winter and don't forget to check the What's On page for all of these programs and more.
4: During June and July, we're participating in the Warm Winter Read. So grab your book, blanket and beanie and cosy up with a book this winter. From 1st of June to 31st of July, you're encouraged to find time every day to cosy up with a book create healthy reading habits by tracking your reading progress online with the Beanstack app or by collecting a paper reading record from the library. Find some new titles to read, pick up a bookmark at the library, join in fun challenges and share your reading with others. You can find more information in the library or check out the warm winter read link in the show notes.
0: On behalf of the podcast team we'd like to say a big thank you and farewell to two of our colleagues. Have worked on the podcast, Lee and Aisha. Thank you for all your fabulous work, and we'll really miss you. And you can actually hear them both on this episode. For information about everything discussed in this episode, visit the show notes on the library website. And don't forget, you can get a tailored recommendation by requesting a book match via the website too. For any library-related inquiries, call one three hundred six three zero nine two zero.